Well, hello there, everyone. My name is Amanda, and you are listening to Cover Story. I am joined by my co-host, Filler, and his lovely wife, Jenny. Cover Story is a podcast dedicated to music. In our first season, we have been exploring cover songs we really dig. Welcome to the porch, everyone. We are glad you're here. This is episode 9 of Cover Story. If you've missed any episodes or want to drop us a line, you can do all that over at thecoverstorypodcast.com. Special thanks to Ray, who wrote us a review asking for some more R&B, and then followed up with some great episode ideas. We will dive into the Isley Brothers and some truly excellent covers of the song, Summer Breeze. We hope we don't disappoint. We know we never do anyhow. On side A, we find some common threads that lead to the rise in fame and success of Credence Clearwater Revival and the Ike and Tina Review. Each group had breakout hits by performing cover songs. That's right, folks, cover songs. Susie Q was a song written by Dale Hawkins in 1957. In 1968, Credence decided to cover the song for their debut album. The song went on to be one of their biggest hits and earned them plenty of airtime on the radio. Similarly, when Ike and Tina first entered the scene, they made quite a splash with their brainstorming cover of Credence's Proud Mary. There's a great deal of debate about which version is the better version, and we look forward to having you join us for our banter. And without further ado, Amanda, let's hit the side A, if you please. I'm not proud of this story that I'm about to tell. Then again, I am one girl out of a thousand who probably pulled off the same scam. Do any of you recall the BMG Music Service, the mail order company famous for offering CDs at deals like 12 CDs for a penny? Well, much to their accounting department's chagrin, they were instrumental in building my early CD collection at no cost to me. BMG, along with Columbia House, were music clubs which stuffed their mail order forms in the back of nearly every magazine known to man during the late 80s and early 90s. As with many of my fellow BMG Music Club members, I began my membership in earnest. I'd fill out the form, send in a penny, and miraculously, a week later, I would receive my first CD. As time went on, I learned copious amounts of ways in which I could receive dozens of CDs for free, like using fake names on form after form. I kept inventing aliases, and BMG kept sending me CDs. Somehow, I managed to get away with this scam and accrued a pretty decent CD collection by the time I got to high school. Again, I'm not proud of this story. I am proud, however, of the very first CD I ordered legitimately, albeit for a penny. The CD's title was Chronicle, Volume 1, also known as Chronicle, The 20 Greatest Hits, the greatest hits album by American swamp rock band Credence Clearwater Revival. It was released in January 1976 by Fantasy Records, and here I was, about 10 years later, buying it on CD for just one penny. Imagine that. I'm not sure why I landed on CCR as my first CD selection of all time. However, having heard their song Down on the Corner in one of my favorite movies of all time, One Crazy Summer, I figured they were worth checking out. Credence Clearwater Revival, often referred to as simply Credence or CCR, was an American rock band active in the late 1960s and early 1970s. The band consisted of lead vocalist, lead guitarist, and primary songwriter John Fogarty, his brother, rhythm guitarist Tom Fogarty, bassist Stu Cook, and drummer Doug Clifford. Their musical style encompassed the roots rock, swamp rock, and blues rock genre. 
Despite their San Francisco Bay Area origins, they played in a southern rock style with lyrics about bayous, catfish, the Mississippi River, and other popular elements of southern United States iconography, as well as political and socially conscious lyrics about topics including the Vietnam War. After four years of chart-topping success, the group disbanded acrimoniously in late 1972. Tom Fogarty had officially left the previous year, and his brother John was at odds with the remaining members over matters of business and artistic control, all of which resulted in subsequent lawsuits between the former bandmates. Fogarty's ongoing disagreements with Saul Zentz, owner of the label Fantasy Records, created further protracted court battles. As a result, John Fogarty refused to perform with the two other surviving members at CCR's 1993 induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Creedence Clearwater Revival, which disbanded in 1972, were progressive and anachronistic at the same time. An unapologetic throwback to the golden era of rock and roll, they broke ranks with their peers on the progressive, psychedelic San Francisco scene, Their approach was basic and uncompromising, holding true to the band's members' working-class origins. The term roots rock had not yet been invented when Credence came along, but in essence, they defined it, drawing inspiration from the likes of Little Richard, Hank Williams, Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, and the artisans of soul at Motown and Saks. In doing so, Credence Clearwater Revival became the standard bearers and foremost celebrants of homegrown American music. Credence Clearwater Revival's music is still a staple of U.S. radio airplay, The band has sold 26 million albums in the United States alone. And as Dorian Linsky writes in an article for The Guardian, Credence were the only band who could unite hippies, rednecks, and the pop critic of The New Yorker, not to mention younger musicians such as Joe Strummer and Bruce Springsteen, who later testified, they weren't the hippest band in the world, just the best. Their songs have been prominently featured on countless soundtracks. I promise you, if you hang with me, I will eventually take you to one of the most tremendous CCR covers of all time. But for the moment, I'm going to take you on a little movie soundtrack jaunt with me. After all, I have the great Bobcat Goldweight and One Crazy Summer to thank for turning me on to Credence. So I recently visited Howard Stern's website to listen to his John Fogarty interview from 2015. According to a post-interview article on the site, Howard wrote, Certain musical artists are ingrained in the soundtrack of our lives. Others are ingrained in the soundtrack of our soundtracks. John Fogarty has accomplished both. It may be hard to believe, but Fogarty has appeared in more films and TV than Adam Sandler, Daniel Day-Lewis, Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, Meryl Streep, Robert De Niro, and Dame Judi Dench. Granted, it's usually just his voice, but still, it's damn impressive. What can we attribute this to? It may be very simple. The music of Creedence Clearwater Revival just plain sounds like America. As a result, many of CCR's biggest hits work absolutely perfectly for some key types of film scenes. Nothing says Vietnam flashback like a Credence Clearwater Revival song. Four guys from California were able to capture the rustic South like no other band before or since. As years went on, their sound also came to epitomize the unrest of the 1960s. Filmmakers began to use CCR's song as the background for civil rights protests, sniper fire in Nam, and even LSD trips gone bad. I crunched the numbers and found some staggering amount of CCR-accompanied scenes. Spoiler alert. Vietnam is usually involved. Here are the highlights. Fortunate Son. Scene credits. 19. For use when? It's Vietnam. Stars in? Forrest Gump. Live Free or Die Hard. Crossing the Bridge. Battleship. If characters are protesting Vietnam, fighting in Vietnam, or eating Vietnam food, Fortunate Son just automatically plays. It's a rule of cinema. 
Unfortunately, Fortunate Son is a monster song that never gets old. Just as soon as that riff kicks in, the heart starts pumping and you can't help but reach for the nearest camo bandana and picketing sign. And then we have Bad Moon Rising. Scene credits, 30. For use when bad shit's about to go down. Or characters are in Vietnam. Stars in An American Werewolf in London, Man of the House, and Blade. It's hard to claim there's a better song to set a potential foreboding this side of Gimme Shelter. Anytime a character enters a new environment where things seem just a little off, keep an ear peeled for those Fogarty intro strums. Also, the song may be used by accident in films, which there is a bathroom on the right. All right, the next up, Run Through the Jungle. Scene credits, 14. For use when the protagonist is in over his head somehow. Or in Vietnam. Stars in Rudy, My Girl, The Big Lebowski, Air America, The Sapphires. The foreboding riff and Fogarty's chill-inducing growl make Run Through the Jungle the perfect paranoia anthem, and several filmmakers apparently agree. There is a perfect example from The Big Lebowski. Jeff Bridges and John Goodman are on a mission. Nothing gets John Goodman's Vietnam vet character Walter ready to fulfill said mission than a little CCR. Bridges coming up. Give me the ringer. Chop, chop. Fuck that. Walter, I love you, but sooner or later you're going to have to face the fact you're a goddamn moron. Okay, dude, no time to argue. Hey, man. The bridge. Hey, Walter. Hey, Walter. Hey, Walter. Here goes the ringer. Okay, dude, your wheel. And then we have Up Around the Bend. Screen credits, 13. For use when good times are being had, perhaps whilst in Nam. Stars in Red Dawn, The Hoax, Invincible, Remember the Titans, and Michael. The most uplifting riff ever? Possibly, very possibly. At the very least, Up Around the Bend sounds like a party, particularly one where a group of mismatched characters are finally getting along for the first time. And then we have my favorite, Looking Out My Back Door. Screen credits, five. For use when drugs are happening, or Vietnam drugs are happening. Stars in The Big Lebowski and We Are Marshall. Drug scenes fall into a few distinct categories. There's the tripping balls scene where a character is just out of their minds. For those, you can use a Jefferson Airplanes, Doors, or most likely Jimi Hendrix song to get the point across. Then there's the just mellowing out man drug scene, which is best served by looking out my back door. Everything's good. I had some drugs and now I'm just mellowing out, man. Apologies for double dipping on this Coen Brothers classic. But we consider it acceptable as the dude's stolen credence tapes are as central a part as any of the movie's shaggy dog of a plot. The dude is not in. Do you Leave find them much, uh, these stolen cars? It takes a minute. Sometimes. Wouldn't hold out much hope for the tape deck, though. Or the credence. The one-man car chase scene involving the dude smoking pot while singing along to Looking Out My Back Door is comedy gold that will forever etch a smile on your face when hearing this song about tangerines and elephants. And then we have Have You Ever Seen the Rain? Who'll Stop the Rain? Screen credits combined 27 for use when it's literally raining in Vietnam. Stars in High Life, December Boys, Evan Almighty, and The Longest Yard. Sometimes in movies, it rains. Other times, the film takes place in Vietnam. Other, other times, it rains at Vietnam. No matter, both CCR rain songs are tailor-made for those occasions. For example, there's this 1978 film about Vietnam titled, Who'll Stop the Rain? Vietnam and CCR, a match made in movie heaven. Okie dokie, folks. Now it's time to move on to why we are really here. 
cover songs. And as Filler mentioned in the introduction, the Ike and Tina Review started their career with a bang, not a whimper, by covering CCR's 1969 song, Proud Mary. I don't know why it's so interesting to me that both CCR and Tina got their starts with cover songs, but I suppose that's sort of what led to this podcast. Anywho, what made Ike and Tina's version of Proud Mary was the sheer, brilliant performance of Tina Turner, which she turned out on stage time and time again. According to a Rolling Stones article titled 50 Greatest Live Performances of the Last 50 Years, one of the greatest live performances took place in 1969 during the Ike and Tina Turner American Tour. The Rolling Stones returned to America in 1969 after three years away, a period that included Beggar's Banquet and the death of guitarist Brian Jones, was what critic Robert Christow described as history's first mythic rock and roll tour. But on the 17-date spin through the United States, time and again they were upstaged by their hand-picked opening act, old friends Ike and Tina Turner, and their combustible R&B review. The Stones met Ike and Tina among Phil Spector's orbit in England. I'd always see Mick in the wings, Tina remembered of her performances in the mid-60s. I'd come out and watch him occasionally. They'd play music, and Mick would beat the tambourine. He wasn't dancing, and lo and behold, when he came to America, he was doing everything. Jagger later admitted he learned a lot of things from Tina. In the U.S., Ike and Tina won a new audience over with wild, sweat-drenched covers of the new rock and roll canon, including a brassy burst through the Beatles' Come Together. I said to Ike, recalled Tina, please, please let me do that song on stage. They spun through Janis Joplin's Peace of My Heart and a high-octane version of Creedence Clearwater Revival's Proud Mary that by 1971 would become their biggest hit. Their take on Otis Redding's I've Been Loving You Too Long garnered its share of attention too, thanks to an orgasmic bridge that eventually got even raunchier. I don't think it could go any further, Tina said in 1971, because as they say in New York, it's getting pornographic. At Madison Square Garden, Joplin herself stopped by to assist on Land of 1000 Dances. By the tour's end, writers couldn't control their enthusiasm. Vogue said it best, said Tina. They came to see Mick Jagger, but they saw Ike and Tina, and they've been coming ever since. And I want everybody here to know That you got my nose wide open, baby A friend of mine with a pickup truck Said he'd help me move What a stroke of luck Help me move a few boxes of paperback books and little things like that. Couch, table, kitchenware, bath, mattress, easy chair, a flea, market carpet, and my cross-eyed cat. Upstairs, downstairs, tons of fun. We were mighty tired by the time we were done. I said, thank you kindly, friend, and allow me to buy you a beer. A true friend is a man with love in his heart and a kitchen table on his back. Somebody who'll help you move. A friend like that deserves a nice cold beer. A beer brewed with naturally perfect artesian brewing water. An Olympia beer. So so this is totally absurd, right? So we're I love just it. listening to this beer commercial from, <laughs> from the late 60s. Olympia. So it's just like... A total strain. So you said it was played all the time, like round the clock. On yeah, television well, in those days. Yeah. So you know, do you guys know where the band's name came from? All right, let me tell you. So Tom Fogarty, John Fogarty's brother, um, he had a friend at work whose name was Credence and Newball, and John Fogarty took the Clearwater part from that beer commercial we just heard because Olympia's whole thing was like. 
our beer. It's in the clear water. It's the artisanal water approach um, from Olympia, Washington. So that's where they got the clear water part. And the revival referred to the band's sort of rebirth or revival after four years of kind of trying to figure out who they were. And then the two dudes um, went off to Vietnam, John right. Fogarty, and, or not Vietnam. They went off to the Army Reserves. And then they came back, and this was their revival. So, right. Credence, their, their music went to Vietnam. So I found those beer commercials, and it's just like Jenny was yeah. saying, like a, a Don Draper original. I mean, that yeah. shit how is stra- classic. How strange is that shit? I mean, like, like it's like. Am I cross-eyed? Cat? I'm a new woman, <laughs> and I'm gonna. It's like, but it's, it's so, like early feminism almost. It's, like, it's kind of strange, right? I, is it? I don't know because. Oh, also, the the takeaway... It sounds like Don Draper, like, writing for the new, like, woman's movement. Totally. It's coming. Like, it's like approaching. It's kind of like how people sell shit to hipsters. But now. the bottom line is, when you have a pickup truck, you're always going to be asked to help your friends to move. Right. right. I want to talk about Lebowski. Oh, Lebowski. Absolutely. Yeah. With, with with gusto and yeah. pleasure. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about Le- Lebowski. The dude. I mean, you, you covered all the credence. That shit was dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you covered, uh, you know, you covered enough of Tina and You want to... Talk about the plot I mentioned where the Credence tapes are stolen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love the Lebowski. So I have trouble. So for, for, I think you guys probably know this based on the amount of times we've talked about the ghosts in my house, but I have trouble sleeping. And Mm -hmm. the one movie I feel like I put on when I can't sleep is The Big Lebowski. For some reason, I just find that movie to be like, yeah. This is really cementing yours and Jenny's friendship. Um, it doesn't just and with also, Dylan. I, I, also, I would say, like honestly, and uh, you know, Big Lebowski. I, I I put Big Lebowski in like top five favorite movies of mine. I mean, of the, all time. The amount. I mean, of like quotes. like it's with The Shining. Like it's next to The Shining. Well, The Shining, man. Well, I'm, I'm not talking about genre. I'm just talking about like I see, I see. brilliant movie. Like my yes. five favorite movies. Five, like five movies that every time they're on TV, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna watch it. Mostly through. I mean, that's and a great I do that with The Shining. Right I'll do that like on a, like a Sunday afternoon in the middle of July. I'll with a Shining, shining. you're yeah. fucking wackadoo. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an awesome movie. A beautiful sunny Sunday in July, and Phil is watching so, The I'm Shining. Stay and watch The Shining. <laughs> it's true. But like, same with Lebowski, because he writes it. I mean, the movie starts off. He's fucking in his robe, and, and he buys a. He buys a thing of milk with it's a amazing. Check. He writes a check. Amazing. And He's uh, in that and movie. Uh, the little TV on the background is is uh, George Bush saying you know something about the parlance of our times. He's genius in that yeah, movie. It's brilliant. Um, so I I think Jenny would appreciate this based on our Dylan uh, love affair. So Dylan um, was on tour with John Fogerty and. Um, Rolling Stones, they were doing like a you know a big a big uh, tour, and he was like, "Dude, you've got to play Proud Mary." He's like, "If you don't play it, people are gonna just assume it's a Tina Turner song because she really when she busted out." And the interesting thing to me about this was that they recorded that song Proud Mary in 1968. They broke up in '72, and in '71 is when Ike and Tina decided to do that song which was um, like just like a very short window of time. Right. and um, But that's such a, it's, you know, it's such a different version than Credence's, you know? And it's very kind of as, so they did, Credence did I Heard It Through the Grapevine, which is a Marvin, you know, gay song and Gladys Knight and the Pips. Mm-hmm. They made that so different 
equally, Tina Turner made Proud Mary. Like, you know, I, I, I struggle to find many people who don't associate more with the Tina Turner version just because right. it's she's up there on stage and she's dancing and she's, you know, fucking rocking out. I don't know. Right. It's it, but 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 then to me it's interesting because it was their it's like I don't know it's so their sound too right well as we keep coming across with all of our research and episode to episode um, a good song is a good song and different types of talent can find like brilliant ways to rearrange a good song and and perform it differently and make it mean something totally different yeah. than. It did before, or make it appeal to a totally different set of people than it did before. Yeah. Um, so that's what it's all about, songwriting. Um, so, okay, I got to say one thing about Credence, and then I want to talk a little bit about Tina. Mm-hmm. So part of the non-sleeping thing, last week I started watching Almost Famous because I'd just seen that George Harrison documentary, which we talked mm-hmm. about, which right. was so good. It was. Um, and uh, they mentioned Cameron Crowe or Rolling Stones. Cameron Crowe had done an interview, and so I was like, oh, Cameron Crowe. And then it made me want to rewatch Almost Famous. And when I watched that, I fell like down a super deep Wikipedia rabbit hole of um, the publisher, Ben uh, Fong Torres, who's the guy that's like constantly calling uh, Cameron Crowe's character in the, in the film, um, the kid. I, I don't know what they call him in the movie, but the actor, um, the young kid. Um, and he's like, how you doing on the story? How you doing on the story? What do you got for us? And so I came across this article from Rolling Stones written on April 5th, 1969, which this is kind of like where history blows my mind a little bit because Ben Fong Torres is writing. He's a writer at the Rolling Stones, okay? And he's writing about Credence Clearwater Revival in 1969 and basically making a prediction in this article about whether or not they will they have lasting power and whether or not they will make it. Um, and so they're talking about, yeah, they're talking about um, the transformation of their name that they met in high school and in 1958 and um, they started as the Blue Velvets then they changed their name to the Gollywogs in 1963 and then um, in 1967 they changed their name again to Credence Clearwater Revival and it was at this time that Proud Mary came about and was like on the, on the charts. It blew my mind just to think about somebody writing in the moment of Credence, whereas I have always had this 30 to 40 year perspective on them, and he is seeing them in the moment, writing about them, making sort of, hey, are they going to stand the test of time? And of course we know that, well, as a band, they really didn't. They had, you know, divisiveness, acrimonious breakup, you know, Mm -hmm. John Fogarty was such a um, control freak and really kind of set the tone for this negative, like, I want to, you know, you know do it all and um yeah for our tina fans out there and you know she has that power she's such a presence um don't despair i know that we're going to be talking about her in greater detail um down the road so we did focus a lot about um on credence it we've got to talk about her legs number one but also filler and jenny did you know that she is now a swiss citizen she denounced her american citizenship she married her longtime partner. She was with the dude for like 30 years, finally mm-hmm. decided to get married. They live in Switzerland. She's as happy as a clam, mm-hmm. not as tight as a clam's ass, happy mm-hmm. as a clam. <laughs> mm-hmm. Living a great life. You know, we all know the story. We saw the movie, What's Love Got to Do With It, um, based on her book, 
I, Tina. Which, by the way, I found out Kurt Loder um, helped her write. Like, he, she wrote it with Kurt Loder. And, you know, that dude, I had no idea. You know, just naivete of watching MTV and VH1. I just assumed, like, that, that was his whole shtick. But he has a whole real uh, journalistic career. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Tina's legs. She's a Swiss citizen, and she's badass. And Makes perfect sense. Yeah. She probably needed to go somewhere a little more gentle. Yeah, probably. Maybe a neutral country. A neutral country, the Swiss, uh-huh. with Roger Federer. Rabbit Hole. Amanda and I use the term a lot when we describe the tangents on which we go when we do our research for these episodes. It's necessary to follow the clues and thread the needle. I don't know what the angle is until I know, you know? So what does the Urban Dictionary know about rabbit holes? According to those fine folks, a rabbit hole is a metaphor for the conceptual path which is thought to lead to the true nature of reality infinitesimally deep and complex venturing too far down is probably not that great of an idea taking hallucinogenic drugs can be considered tripping down the rabbit hole but it is also explored through philosophical and existential thinking something I personally wouldn't know anything about the origin of the term is from the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland which leads to, you guessed it, the Wonderland So when a cover story regular requested some soul and R&B analysis, in particular, the Isley Brothers' rendition of Summer Breeze, it only made sense to arrive there by tripping down the metaphorical rabbit hole. That of the original American soft rock, mildly psychedelic duo of James Jim Seals and Daryl Dash Crofts. Summer Breeze, originally penned by Seals and Crofts, was released in 1972 and reached number 6 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in the U.S. See the curtains hanging in the windows in the evening on a Friday night. A little light a-shining through the window. Let me know everything is alright. Sweet days of summer, the jasmine's in bloom. July is dressed up and playing her tune. The Isley Brothers are an American musical group originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, that started as a vocal trio consisting of brothers O'Kelly Isley Jr., Rudolph Isley, and Ronald Isley. The group has been cited as having enjoyed one of the longest, most influential, and most diverse careers in the pantheon of popular music. Influenced by gospel and duop music, the group began experimenting with different musical styles incorporating elements of rock and funk music, as well as pop balladry. The inclusion of younger brothers Ernie Isley on lead guitar and drums and Marvin Isley on bass guitar and Rudolph's brother-in-law Chris Jasper on keyboards and synthesizers in 1973 turned the original vocal trio into a self-contained musical group. By 1971, the Isley's younger siblings started to add musical input into the band's music, first performing on the Isley's Given It Back, which had the brothers reinterpreting rock songs, mixing it with funk and gospel-oriented elements. They played an even bigger role in the music on the 1972 album Brother, Brother, Brother. Both albums yielded top 40 hits, including Love the One You're With and Pop That Thang. 
By the end of their Buddha tenure in 1973, the younger brothers signed a distribution deal with Epic Records and made Ernie, Marvin, and Chris official members. In 1973, the Isleys released 3 Plus 3, which included the top 10 hit single, That Lady, and a UK top 10 cover of the aforementioned Summer Breeze. Incorporating hard rock and folk rock as well as funk and soulful balladry, the album became their breakthrough hit, eventually selling over 2 million copies. So on this frigid winter evening, I guess we're feeling aspirational, and I personally aspire to be warm. Warm in body temperature, in spirit, and warm in attitude towards the good people around me. So, what exactly constitutes summer music? Well, for me, it's got to be laid back, but it also has to have a good driving tempo, and it has to have an arrangement that lends itself to blasting with the top down. Having some summer reference in the lyrics doesn't hurt either. And Seals and Croft's Summer Breeze was a perfect blend of pop craftsmanship, jazzy arrangements, and seamlessly blended harmonies. It's like the 70s Southern California that I never experienced, but was perhaps passed to me via early childhood media osmosis. Now let me get to that summery East Coast hot asphalt busted fire hydrant still in the 70s version though. During their early 1970s era, the Isley Brothers covered a lot of popular songs of the day from a variety of artists. Even their early 1970s hit, That Lady, is a remake of their own original from 1965. A bit of irony coming from the same musical act who originally made Twist and Shout a hit back in 1962 and then watched it become a staple among the Beatles' early hits and live setlist. So true to their form of that time, the brothers' landmark, 3 Plus 3, from 1973, contained many contemporary covers like the Doobie Brothers' Listen to the Music or Jonathan Edwards' Sunshine. But it's also the album where the younger brothers, Ernie and Marvin, and brother-in-law Chris Jasper, joined up full-time, making the Isleys a complete band. The result was an album that was as consistently well-played as it was well-sung. It was a coming-out party for the 21-year-old Ernie, whose brilliant guitar playing helped make That Lady such a huge hit in 1973, and 3 Plus 3, their first platinum seller. Also on 3 Plus 3, our song of the day, Summer Breeze, led with a brilliantly smooth croon by Ronald Isley and his little brother Ernie displaying a more controlled Hendrix-esque sensibility on his fuzzed-out Strat. After that last chorus, though, Ernie opens it up with some sweet blues phrasing that is reflective of an artist's maturity far past that of a 21-year-old. Meanwhile, Jasper fills out the arrangement with a driving, furious piano, and Ernie adds an acoustic guitar rhythm that's as percussive as it is melodic, both elements nodding towards the original folk arrangement while the rhythm section displayed a more funkified approach. Ultimately, maybe not as blissed out as Seals and Crofts, but man oh man, could they play. Now let's travel a little further east, to Harlem perhaps, New York City, and a little further back, 1968, to a little-known R&B group at the time called The Main Ingredient. Here is where I stumbled upon a version of Summer Breeze that exemplifies the best of both worlds, the blissful and hypnotic refinement of Seals and Crofts, and the reflective, soulful, painful epicness of the Isley Brothers. 
The main ingredient had success for the first time in 1970 with You've Been My Inspiration, followed by a cover of the Impressions I'm So Proud. In 1971, they scored again with the McPherson Penn Black Power Anthem, Black Seeds Keep On Growing. But tragedy stuck that year. Lead singer Don McPherson, who had been suddenly taken ill with leukemia, died unexpectedly. Stunned, Tony Sylvester and Luther Simmons regrouped with new lead singer Cuba Gooding Sr., who had served as backing vocalist on some of their previous recordings and had filled in on tour during McPherson's brief illness. The Gooding era began auspiciously with the million-selling smash Everybody Plays the Fool, which hit number two on the R&B and number three on the pop charts to become the group's biggest hit. It sold over one million copies and was awarded a gold disc by the RIAA in September 1972. The accompanying album, Bittersweet, became their first hit in the top ten on the R&B charts. Its follow-up, 1973's Aphrodisiac, featured several songs written or co-written by Stevie Wonder, although it did not produce any huge successes on the singles charts. My album of note, however, group's sixth record, released in 1974, is called Euphrates River, and it's on that album that the main ingredients version of Summer Breeze makes its debut. Breezing in with a harp and brass intro that lays forward the context for the main theme, executed brilliantly by a doubled sitar and flute, taking things much further east than Harlem. The arrangement is stunning, and the vocal performance is pristine and agile. A further note on this album, the main ingredient also does a marching tempo cover of another Seals and Cross track called Euphrates, leading with a super diggable 12-string guitar riff that exemplifies cool soul exoticism. Jasmine is a sweet-smelling flower that blooms in the summer. It makes for a brilliant lyric, penned by a brilliant lyricist. And aren't we lucky that it breezed its way into some of the most sophisticated soul and R&B artists of the day. Artists that were doing something radically new at the time, maybe even a little dangerous. And I don't know about you, but I tend to like a little danger in my blissed-out rabbit hole. kind of funny that I have a, a Yes song playing here. Right? Yeah. I mean, Is that um, your blissful rabbit hole? Kind of, yeah. It, you know, Yes for me uh, just reminds me of being 15 and kind of hiding out. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's about when Yes peaked for me. But Seals and Crops sort of reminded me of Yes. And totally. And they're sort of like... You know, 12-string guitar picking, like, being really accurate about it, being really fantastical with their lyrics. and Yeah. Um, on, on the rest of the Summer Breeze album. And it's so interesting to me that um, two different soul groups, and I'm sure it was, like, pioneered by the Isley Brothers, and then, and, and then the main ingredient was inspired by that to, like, take it elsewhere or whatever. 
would be interested in the music that's happening with Seals and Crofts. I know. But How it, did that come to be? Right. I mean, you know, I think this was the vibe in the 60s and the 70s. I think people played each other's music. Yeah. I think they just did. And I think that also there, there was some consciousness about finding a way to cross over across the charts. Yeah. Um, from R&B and soul into, into pop and rock and vice versa. The quality of the songwriting was so off the charts, though, mm-hmm. that you could take it into a totally different context, and it could appeal to totally different types of people throughout this country. It's interesting. It really is, and I think what's even more interesting to me when I dug a little deep on the Isley Brothers was just, you know, I totally associate them with or prior to digging deep, I associated them with the 70s and Summer Breeze and this sort of sound. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that they were a, a doo-wop. For 20 years That's that right, point, yeah. a doo-wop band from the Nearly. 50s. You know, um, I believe they came out of Ohio and they right. had a real, you know, 50s sound. Um, yeah, they were almost, uh, the three originals were almost older guys at that point. Yeah. And they had young, younger siblings that came in and filled out the rest of the band. Right. And then, you know, by the time you have uh, this album, Three Plus Three, right? Absolutely oh, yeah, titled yeah, yeah. Three Plus Three. Yeah. They brought on the three other brothers, the two blood brothers that were younger, and then the brother-in-law, yeah. Chris Jasper. Um, so hence Three Plus Three. Uh, you bring them in, and and you have the now you have a full band. So you have the vocalists, and you have the the instrumentalists. And it's a killing band. Yeah. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, not all the songwriting was, like, that amazing. Um, some of it was off the charts amazing. Some of it wasn't. Um, but, the like, the performances are just, unreal. That's right. They're just performing, like, yeah. off they're the charts. Just off the, yeah. They're just, like, really digging into something. They have incredible chemistry. And they're just doing their thing. Yeah. It's so ridiculously good. So yeah. tight. Yeah. Okay, so um, for our listeners that might not know, and um, I certainly didn't know, but that song, Everybody Plays a Fool, you know, everybody, Mm -hmm. that's a main ingredient song. Mm -hmm. And that sort of put Cuba Gooding Sr. kind of on the map. It was like when he first came in and started singing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've uh then after that they do euphrates river which you talked about right um and it's tighter and it's it has a really more, interesting album yeah and it has more like appeal right um they've nailed the seals and croft summer breeze um yeah they, they they just um they were really smart about that album it's a really br- like it's really brilliantly arranged straight through mm-hmm. i mean from the name they're obviously trying to bring this like sort of eastern thing into it but they're sticking with the soul yeah and they're trying to make it they're trying to make exotic music but soul music and i it's just a mind-blowing track it's a mind-blowing uh um, it's yeah. a really great album. It's a it's a it's a really great album, and they've they've got a couple other covers on there. They've got um, mm-hmm. they do Stevie Wonder's "Don't Worry About a Thing," or right. sorry, rather, "Don't You Worry About a Thing." Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it was a very interesting dive I took um, when Ray, so my friend Ray, started texting me about right. this, and, and um, I hadn't really lived with Summer Breeze at all. 
<laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it was it was um, it was just not. It was like kind of like a song, like you said about the the supermarket, like the coolest grocery store. Like when I hear that song, I feel like. I'm in a video or I should be like walking down the beach right. wearing like you know flowing like white linen or something like that mm. um, I don't know you should I don't know <laughs> well we want it to be aspirational aspirational we want it to be aspirational this week we want to talk about summer breeze even That's though it. we're in the depths of fucking winter of, and it's supposed to be a February. blizzard tomorrow did you guys or not a blizzard pardon me I'm exaggerating Maybe. tremendously after two cocktails it's only going to be two inches <laughs> a blizzard it's a blizzard well, neither way. Sorry, so <laughs> going, the, the, I'm, I'm going yeah. off the rails. You guys, I wasn't. But just for the record, this was you topped this off. Like, all right, you topped it off. We decided last week I was only supposed to have one. It was like one and a half. It was like one and a half. This is like you no, one and three quarters no. last week, so we were doing one and a half this week. Uh, okay. brother, we were taking it back a couple ounces. To Betsy, but you don't know. you worry about a thing. <laughs> Methodology equals mongeolary. Um, <laughs> Mongeology? Mongeology. Mongeology. You know, really the way this went down was like, all right, my favorite version of Summer Breeze was always the Eyes of the Brothers version. I went back and listened to Seals and Cross. It reminded me of Days and Confused. Yes. It was in Days and Confused. So it was like, all right, man, this band's pretty cool. Um, I've never really dove into them. Uh, and it's... Seals and Cross is like pretty deep and like almost like they're not that accessible. Um, no, they're amazing though. They're they're amazing. They're just not that accessible, and and that song is is brilliant. And Isley Brothers version is very different and brilliant. And the main ingredients version is like right in between the two. It's like yeah. in this sweet soft spot right in between the two. Um, you know, when you hear it, you're almost like, man, they, they really were trying to take something from both versions. Totally. They really were. But then they were also trying to do their own thing with it. And the lead vocal, the Cuba Gooding Senior vocal, oh my is absolutely pristine. It's amazing. It's ridiculous. And the instrumentation is extremely, the arrangement is extremely sophisticated mm-hmm. and, and trying to be exotic, trying to take you east via, you know, uh, Western orchestral instrumentation. It's very, very cool. It's just very cool, but it has American soul. Yeah, totally. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us for Episode 9 of Cover Story. We hope you enjoyed it. I know I certainly did, and I can tell by the faces on Jenny and Filler that they did, too. Ooh, la, la. So, as always, our episode notes can be found over at thecoverstorypodcast.com. If you liked what you listened to, we would love it if you would take a moment and write us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. You can also find our Spotify playlist, which is the running playlist of all the songs we've talked about in uh, season one of Cover Story. And filler next week, we get to talk about the queen of soul, Mm. Miss Aretha Franklin, who does a brilliant cover, which I did not know was a cover, but R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. Yeah. And on that note, 
I expect that you're going to go close yourself up in some sort of dark dungeon and go watch The Shining. Well, I <laughs> head off and start my Friday night President's Day weekend. Heard the dog that um, bit you. That's it. That's it. So, until next time, folks, look out streets. Here we come.